0: Good morning. This is the this is the last talk on Romans. This is Romans chapter 15 and 16. And it's, it begins to come to a close here under the subtitle, Living to Please Others. And so to start with, let's read Romans 15 verses 1 to 7. Take a few minutes to do that. And think about what we've been reading over the last few weeks. Where do we fit in Paul's idea of strong and weak? And you know, do we shoulder the responsibility of disciplining the newer Christians who would be, in his eyes, that weak? in inverted commas or do we need support from a mentor a stronger christian and the model of christ is found in verse three christ did not please himself but and the quote here is the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me jesus lived to selflessly serve he took upon his shoulders all the pain and suffering and insults we endure so that we can have hope and in verse five of chapter 15, Paul wants the church to have the mind of Christ, all of us, so that no matter what else, with one mind and voice, you may glorify God. Now in the last chapter, Paul built on his thesis that love fulfills the law in order to urge us to be gentle with believers who hold opinions that are contrary to our own. And obviously the example given there was what foods were allowed and what were not. And he wants the mature Christians to be so filled with love that the new and weaker believers can be gently taught and disciplined and not forced into the faith. But, but there's more. From this, he wants all believers to have one mind to worship God. Like if every Christian loves and if every Christian makes allowances for the faults of others and doesn't ruin their relationships by arguing about petty things, then perhaps all the church will be able to come together to glorify the Lord. And in verse 7, then, Paul says, so accept one another as Christ accepted you. Basically, Jesus accepts you when you're awful, makes huge allowances for you, loves you despite all your faults. That is the mind of Christ. We should be treating everybody like that. And the church has had a sketchy history at times because it hasn't treated others as Christ would. We've often demanded that other people look just like us before we accept them. And as a result, is it any wonder that people have left the church and have looked for acceptance elsewhere? And Paul says that Christ became a servant of the Jews and the Gentiles so that all people, in verse 9, might glorify God. How will the world glorify God if the Spirit is not living through us because of all our petty differences of opinion that make us argue and split apart? So think about this. Think about what we're reading so far. And maybe take a few minutes. What Christians and churches do we disagree with? And would Paul have nothing to do with them? Would he reproach them and teach them sternly? Or would he teach them gently, as if to a young or immature believer, and pray for their hearts? And it's after this that the whole of Romans. Yes, yes, I know, I haven't. Sorry, my baby's sat next to me. It's after this that the whole of Romans starts to wrap up. So read verse 14 to 18, and note here that there are a few big things we can actually learn about Paul and about how he leads. He trusts the Roman church, but in verse 15 it says that he writes boldly to remind you. So, a good teacher should teach boldly and not be afraid to correct and remind. And so, too, should we who respect our teachers be open to being corrected by them. And he firmly believes that he has been called to proclaim the gospel for the Gentiles. He's not being arrogant. Remember that the calling, like calling by God, the big ones, and this is something that many churches and big church events like demand that we find. What is God's calling? Callings are always full of responsibility and self-sacrifice. Paul knows what he owes the Lord. Hey, okay. He knows what he owes the Lord and he knows what he used to be like and how merciful God has been. So he is confident in his calling and it is proven in how much he has been called to give and suffer for the good of spreading the love of Christ. And Paul is humble as well. A teacher must be humble, especially a church leader. In verse eighteen, Paul says, "I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me." I imagine if someone got, <laughs> I imagine if someone got to talking to Paul about the local sport, he would probably join the discussion. But at that point, he's not talking about himself. When he writes anything about himself. It is always what Jesus is doing for the good of others. And it is never, I did this, I built this, look at how much I got from this. If you... Excuse me one second, I want to pick up this little monster. If you're going to teach and have leadership in Christ, you should only ever talk about yourself if it is what Jesus has done for the good of others through you. Now, obviously, this is a fine line to walk. Um, don't we shouldn't tolerate the humble bragging in our leaders, and, and we shouldn't settle for messages that make the leader look great, like prosperity preaching or some of the new pseudo-prosperity churches, which preach the blessing of more stuff and seem to lack a teaching that is of service, suffering, and sacrifice, which is actually what is in the gospel. Look at verse twenty. Paul says, my ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He doesn't want to be richer. He doesn't think God is going to give him favour in money or sex or power. He knows that the most important thing is to share the loving acceptance and redeeming love of Christ to those who do not yet know about it. Sorry, that bit went on a little longer than I anticipated. There's a squalling baby. and But there's so much we can also learn from Paul. And, and we finish chapter 15. With Paul explaining that he can finally come to Rome. And he explains his travel plans in the next few verses if you want to read those. But one interesting verse to read is 26 to 27. where He mentions that the Macedonian church had given money for the church all the way in Jerusalem. And that, quote, they were pleased to do it. Because they are now sharing in the spiritual blessing that came first through the Israelites. Paul says that the Gentiles should therefore share their material blessings with them. And it's is an interesting little quandary. Spiritual blessing should result in us willingly giving of our material wealth to bless back to others, to bless the poor, to bless the needy. And if we don't, if we think that spiritual blessing is material blessing, we are still not understanding Christ at all. So take a few minutes to read back the latter half of chapter 15. How does Paul's example of leadership challenge or inspire you? And so the very end of chapter 15 and chapter 16 are mainly greetings and prayers. Uh, A key one and probably the most famous shout-out Paul gives is to Phoebe the deacon. So read verse 2. Phoebe is the letter-bearer of Romans, and it's most likely that she would be the person who would be honoured to read it out to the Roman church and explain key points in it explain what Paul is talking about. She's also a businesswoman who has aided the church and she alone should be enough proof that Paul values women. He values women in these important positions in the church and in the church to come. Just because some of his letters say that women shouldn't teach, it doesn't mean and has never really meant that He never would want them to teach or lead in any circumstances. It's just that culturally, it was not appropriate to do it. It would have become problematic. It would have been more harm than good. After Paul's long list of greetings, he gives a final warning and a blessing. In Romans 16 verse 17, he says, "...watch out for those who cause divisions and obstacles that are contrary to the teaching." I want to challenge you all, if you've been following up with Romans this whole time, to get deep into the New Testament and the Old Testament. And don't just read them through a 21st century century lens. Really learn what they are saying. Really learn what he was actually writing about. And not just saying for you. A lot of the time we're encouraged in the modern world to read the Bible and ask ourselves, what's the Bible saying for us Well, it might be saying stuff for us, but it also might be saying something that actually isn't specifically for you. It's specifically 2,000 years old. It's saying something bigger than just me or just you. What is Jesus really saying for everybody? What is Paul really saying about God for everybody? We shouldn't accept teachings that make us suspicious. We also shouldn't accept teachings that make it sound like all our dreams are about to come true. Both of those things are too too modern. We have to test what we think the gospel is saying. It might not be gospel if we listen to teaching and go, Huh, this is something I'm not sure about. Test it out. I guarantee, like Paul in Rome, there is plenty of dodgy teaching around. And some teaching that is almost legitimate but is slightly off- Test everything you hear. And if you're unsure about something in Christ, please ask someone you trust to mentor you. Discuss these things with wiser believers. Because this stuff, if if it was not specifically for one person, it is timeless. And it's the only thing that really matters. And everything else will pass away. So if you have any questions on Romans, don't hesitate to ask. And next up, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians.